I actually coined called FIRE. It's pronounced the same way, but it's F-I-O-R. And the O-R is optional retirement. Welcome to The Fi Show, where you'll get a behind-the-scenes look into financial independence. Here's your host, Cody and Justin. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of The Fi Show. Before I get to talking, let's check in with the co-host, Cody. What's going on? What's up, man? I'm just starting my great South American adventure. I landed in Lima, Peru a couple days ago and just starting to explore, man. How about you? Uh, not quite as exciting, but I'm back in Boston where it's starting to get cold, but between a couple Texas trips. So keeping it easy this week, but we'll be heading back down to Texas next week. Got to keep the roads hot. And, you know, speaking of us always traveling, living our lives, we have a guest on today who is very big on not just pounding your way to five, but enjoying it along the way. But first, here's a quick word from our sponsor. One of the best ways to protect your family is with term life insurance. Even though we don't like to think about it, it's important to have financial protection in case the unexpected happens. Bestow is an awesome and reputable life insurance partner of ours that makes this process simple and easy. They use data to remove doctor visits and paperwork involved with the traditional life insurance process. And you can apply from anywhere in just minutes. You don't have to jump through a bunch of hoops to determine your eligibility. You'll receive an approval response right away. It literally took me less than one minute to get my estimated quote, and you can go do the same. Get your free and convenient quote by visiting thefyshow.com slash bestow. That's thefyshow.com slash bestow. B-E-S-T-O-W. Bestow. Life insurance made easy. We have Lisa from Mad Money Monster. So Lisa, take it away. Well, I've always been interested in personal finance, even as a kid. I've really just growing up poor and, and and that sort of situation. I've always been fascinated with people that had money, right? But I would say the first time as an adult that I really thought maybe I need to get pretty serious is probably after I had my daughter. That was probably the first time that I thought I really need to focus on a real future, real like retirement is going to hit me at some point. She's going to go to college at some point, you know, all those things. So I, that's when I really got serious at work. I got serious in a lot of different areas, but then, you know, time goes on and then things you adjust and things happen like that. So then eventually, you know, I met my current husband and we were kind of living like college students, right? Like just going out to eat all the time and doing those those things and not budgeting. And we were planning a wedding. We were engaged. And and then we decided to buy a house, you know, that big, you know, suburban, you know, house that you buy to validate yourself, right? <laughs> At least that's what I was doing because I always wanted to live in that big house. So just a casual open house ballooned into like a serious search. And before we know it, you know, we're signing with a realtor and we're actually putting in offers on houses that were way out of our comfort zone that we because we never really sat down and and created that budget and said this is what we have and this is what we want to spend on a home so we got into this contract for this big house just before our wedding and it turns out thankfully the home inspector found molds like sheets of black mold hiding in the attic and we're like whew thank goodness (laughs) you know we're pulling the plug on that one (laughs) and we did and then we stepped back and we're like well, okay, so we are not fresh out of college. We are not even in our 30s anymore. Well, I was still in my 30s, but <laughs> but still, we were at the point where, you know, we need to get serious and start acting our age. You know, we need to 
really reboot everything and just get serious about our finances. And that's when I found the personal finance community online. So just to keep listeners kind of up to speed on where we are, when you say like, oh, you know, we're not just in our 30s, well, maybe you were kind of thing. <laughs> and uh, when you really met financial independence, what age were you and what year was this? So when I found the online community, I this was 2015. I was later 30s. My husband was already 40s. So that's that's where we were. Yeah, four years ago, I guess. And so something I really want to highlight, and you kind of breezed over it before, is you said you grew up poor. And knowing your story, you grew up in like a pretty different situation than a lot of people grow up in. Could you talk about your upbringing a little bit, what that environment was like, and how it shaped your views on money? So yes, I grew up in a trailer. It was an 8 by 50 trailer, so it was 400 square feet. And it was, let me tell you, the original tiny house. <laughs> <laughs> However, I didn't, you know, at the time, we didn't appreciate that. Now, thankfully, that trailer was on the right side of the tracks, and I was in a very affluent school district. So, but that had its pros and cons, right? I mean, I felt you know, fortunate that I was able, well, not at the time, really, I wasn't really putting those pieces together at the time. But now looking back, I was very fortunate to have the opportunity to be in a, a good school district like that and, you know, have great teachers and the resources. But at the time, I felt very um, intimidated by my peers and their parents, because I just didn't live that lifestyle. So I would go visit them at their, you know, big, beautiful suburban house. And that's why I always wanted that. And I would just feel just like a very small person. I don't I don't know how to convey that, but but that is that is the reality of it. So, you know, a little bit of intimidation going on there. And my parents, neither one graduated high school. So my mom, I think, made it to the ninth grade. My dad made it to seventh grade. Now my dad was, I think, twenty seven years older than my mom. <laughs> so that's an interesting story. So we all live, but it was a stable home. It was a loving home. I had three siblings, so I had uh, two brothers. I have two brothers and a sister. So we all lived in that 400 square feet, and we also had a Boston Terrier, so we were a little cramped. <laughs> but again, it was it was a, I don't know, it was very happy upbringing. Now, I did, I can remember certain situations where I was riding the bus home from school, and there would be, you know how if uh, you would go home with a friend to spend the night, like on a Friday night, you would ride their bus home. That's happened quite a bit in my school. If a new student, like someone that didn't know where I lived, was riding the bus home, I, I can remember getting off the bus and just just walking up the road, like acting like I didn't actually live <laughs> in that trailer. <laughs> so these were all things that made me want to pursue, you know, a better life and and have financial backing and, you know, so... That's the quick and dirty story. <laughs> so as someone who also grew up on the, the poor side of things, even though this is maybe a little, I don't know, maybe a little counterintuitive to what some of the finance talk is about, I'd be curious what your thoughts on it are. So for us, at least, you know, we didn't have a lot of money. So we kind of focused the money that we did have on, or at least my mom did, on making sure that I had some clothes and things that made me be able to fit in. So whereas in the, the financial independence space, it's often looked at as you would never spend money on things like clothes because it has no value. But when you're looking at a kid who's trying to fit in with a school and you have no money, 
it's literally the one thing that you can do. It's like the most actionable thing that you can do to spend a little extra money and make it look like they have the same clothes as everybody else. Even though your house can't look the same, your car can't look the same. Like if the clothes can look the same, you kind of fit in as a kid. I was wondering if like you ever had that kind of experience. Oh my gosh, Justin. Yes. You hit the nail on the head with that one. Like my mom, my mom ran the finances, you know, in the household. My dad was just kind of there, (laughs) but Yes, she definitely. And my mom grew up poor, too. So she knew how it felt to not fit in and not have those nice clothes because she did not. So she always made sure they weren't saving for retirement. But definitely I would have, you know, I'd have the brand name clothes and the brand name sneakers. So, yes, I looked I looked the part. I did fit in if you were just looking from the outside. So great at the time. But there was a price to pay for that. So my mom now definitely needs assistance with her with her living expenses my dad since passed on but yeah justin i i definitely i definitely know the feeling well glad i'm not the glad i'm not the only one because i was like not at all a lot of times in this space you know we we look at things like clothes and it's like well that's superficial it doesn't matter and we just write it off and it's like well there's there there are a lot of people that that is a it's a it's a huge difference maker too. like they they would feel so out of place if they didn't at yes. least have the clothes like they'll never have the car they'll never have the house they'll never have the toys but they can maybe you know maybe they can get up to you know hollister they can, that, that, can, <laughs> yeah. that can be their threshold yeah it doesn't matter as long as you have the money right but when you don't have the money it it does it, it matters yeah. So, Lisa, you mentioned growing up, I'm guessing you probably it was forced frugality at that point when you're growing up like in through high school and stuff. And then we jump way forward in your story. I'm kind of glad you give us the whole picture right at the beginning so we can kind of dive in on certain like time points. When did that whole mindset kind of shift? Because, I mean, way later in your journey, when you're going to buy a house, that frugality seems like it just went out the window. So was there like a point in time where that kind of changed for you? So it's funny you say this because we really didn't live a forced frugality. So we had the money to pay the bills. We had the money to cover the essentials because we lived in that trailer. We had extra to, you know, buy the brand name sneakers. What they weren't doing was saving at all for the future. So they weren't saving. But I didn't feel like my mom wasn't clipping coupons and she wasn't saying, oh, we can't do that because we don't have the money. Now, she should have been, <laughs> likely, <laughs> but I didn't grow up with that mindset. Obviously, I knew we didn't have the money that my peers had. So, yeah, I had a, I had kind of a mixed bag growing up when it comes to that. So finding the FIRE community and the FI movement after that house that we we nearly purchased, that I, I call that almost committing financial suicide. <laughs> but after we pulled the plug on that, that's when I found this movement. Now, but I was already, I already had my college education. I already had my master's degree. I already, you know, I had the good career. So we were already established in that. So I had already moved away from that childhood setting. The extreme frugality came in when I found the movement and I found, you know, oh, this is another tool we could use. We don't have to, but let's do it anyway, because we probably should have been making other choices along the way, which we have, you know, it's kind of two steps forward, one step backward. That's how, how we lived our adult life up until that point. So that's, that's kind of where the extreme frugality came in. And you know what, it's kind of glamorized too. It's glamorized in the community a lot of times. So it's like, sure, let's, we can do that. We can cut out this, we can cut out that, we can stop going out to eat and we'll be happy as clams. And that's, wasn't the case (laughs) with us. (laughs) So as you progress later in life and you go away from, 
even though I know you said it wasn't completely a forced frugality, maybe a somewhat forced frugality into where you really had your own money. Can you talk us through like when that moment happened and what that moment was like where you realized, you know what, I can kind of have whatever I want. And now it gets more to a decision of what do I want to spend my money on? Not just necessarily what can I afford? I feel like I've had like several chapters of my life. So when I first graduated college, I pretty much got a well-paying job immediately. And I feel like that was the moment where I felt, oh, I've made it. You know, I've made it. Now I can do pretty much anything I want. Now I started saving for retirement immediately. But I was in a relationship that wasn't the best relationship for me. And it kind of lingered because we know how difficult it is to pull the plug on relationships sometimes. So, you know, we had that beautiful house, we had the in-ground pool, and we were just kind of living, I don't know, not smart with our finances. We weren't being smart at all. And that that's when I was just like, yeah, I can do whatever. But again, I was still saving. So I don't know. It's kind of a mixed bag. That relationship fell apart. And that's really where I kind of sunk into a depression and didn't know how to come out of that. And that was very difficult. I left that beautiful house with four lawn chairs and two cats. And that's the only thing I had. And I was, I was down. It was, and it was December. It was cold. It was dark. It was terrible. And then two weeks later, my dad passes away. It was a very, very difficult time. But at that point, I also had a rental house that I purchased for my parents. So they were living in that house. I know my, my story is a little (laughs) <laughs> a little different here. It's, it's kind of all over the place, but um, it's awesome. they were living in that house, but I didn't want to move back to that house after that relationship fell apart. My dad, like I said, was passing away at that time, but I didn't want, I felt like a loser to move back in at 30, right? I'm like, oh my gosh, 30 years old. I can't move back in with my parents, even though it was my house. <laughs> so <laughs> I've rented an apartment in addition to, and I was also subsidizing my mother's living expenses living in that house. So That was a very tough time. So all of my money, basically, I stopped contributing to my retirement account. So it was kind of like the the bottom, rock bottom of my financial situation. And then as time went on, you know, like I said, I had my daughter. I started to come out of that rut. I guess at the time when when I met my current husband and we were going through that house situation, I didn't really feel like I could have it all or have everything until after we pulled the plug on that. And then I thought, And then we realized, you know, when we really took a hard look at our finances, like, okay, we could be doing a lot better, but we're still doing pretty good. So as long as we don't make poor decisions, we can really turn this around and pretty quickly and get on the right path. So that's the long and winding answer to your (laughs) question. So when you did discover FI or FIRE in 2015, what were the actual tactical differences you made? I know you mentioned that like it was a godsend that there was tons of black mold in that house that you were going to buy. But like what, I don't know, let's talk about like housing, transportation, food, the big three, and then we could talk about discretionary as well. Just how all those categories changed. They all changed, let me tell you. So I was never like a new car kind of girl. Actually, I never had a new car, but we still had, we both still had car payments. We both still had student loans. I think some credit card debt thrown in there. So just living a quote unquote normal lifestyle. When we pulled the plug on that house, we stayed in the house that I had already had. So I bought a second house <laughs> That's after I bought the rental house. So I had a, a small home that I was living in with my daughter before I met my current husband. So when he came into the picture, he was actually two hours 
away from us. So he was able to move into our home with us. So that was fantastic. And it was a, a beautiful home, but small, easy to take care of, easy to maintain, easy to pay for. Okay, so staying in the house was a huge benefit for us at that time. So that's what we did. That was one piece. We stayed put. The second piece, we paid off our cars. So we used that extra income. And I can tell you, like almost the next day, I went into my job and increased my 401k contributions to the max. Like (laughs) That was something I didn't even know people did. I mean, I had been contributing between 10 and 15% over the years. And then there was a time where I didn't contribute at all in that dark period. (laughs) But that was a few years. But I was yeah, I I thought, oh, that's pretty good, you know, 10 to 15%. But I didn't know that people actually did like the 19,000 for the max. So I went or whatever it is, I think it is 19,000. Literally, I did that the next day, I made sure we were both maxing out our IRAs each year. And then we just went through the budget like line item by line item. So we made sure we weren't overspending for groceries. We made sure we were, we actually cut the cable. We didn't do any cable. We did have Netflix, I think. I'm not sure if we had Netflix the whole time, but we did introduce it at some point. So that's been in our lives for quite a while now. And data plan on our cell phones, we cut that back, stopped going out to eat, stopped doing we our pizza Fridays, which we loved. <laughs> our coffee dates on Sundays, we cut that out. So yeah, literally every single line item was fair game. So you made some great like tactical changes, but a lot of times when we're talking with people, even people who have plenty of income to make these big changes, they just like, they look at it and they say, I don't want to stop living life now just for some, you know, experience that may or may not be out there in the future. So even for these people who obviously have expendable income, who just, they're not quite there yet. Like, Do you have any recommendations for when you're trying to talk to those people and get across to them? This is like a life-changing move that you should make. Do you have any recommendations for how you approach that? I mean, I guess you have to sit really sit down and think about what's important to you and your life, both now and later. Because I can tell you, we did dial that back because the extreme frugality was not for us and we just were not happy doing it. And we were not happy with not having Netflix and we weren't happy with not going for pizza on Friday. So we did start incorporating those things in. So, again, I think it's all balance is key. Not everybody needs to achieve financial independence at a super young age. You know, if you want to enjoy your vacations with your family because your family is only going to be with you and your children will only be young for a certain period of time, then go for that. If you have the money to also fund, you know, your retirement accounts and all those things that you're going to need later. I'm a huge proponent of enjoying life now and later. So that's my two cents. (laughs) So that's a perfect transition into a post I wanted to talk about. And it's the five reasons why ditching fire for fi or might be your best financial move. Could you talk about that post? I feel like that ties perfectly into what you were just talking about there. Absolutely. So we all know that FIRE, like financial independence, retire early, is a traditional media sensation that we see every day. In 2017, I think I started to pivot to something that I actually coined called FIRE. It's pronounced the same way, but it's F-I-O-R, and the O-R is optional retirement. So I recently did a post that that talked about the benefits of FIRE with the O-R, 
One is being that it takes the pressure off. You don't have to live this extreme lifestyle or have this extreme savings rate to reach financial independence at a, I guess, shortened time frame just because, right? You you can extend that. And, and when you do, it definitely takes the pressure off. You can breathe easier again. You can maybe enjoy some things that you were cutting out before. Two, for me, actually, it made work more fun. So when I switched to fire, I kind of started to dread going into the office on Monday morning. I dreaded those fluorescent lights, which really never bothered me before. (laughs) (laughs) But all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, I can't believe I have to get off and go in there. (laughs) So for me, it made work more fun. And I was able to enjoy because I enjoy going in. I enjoy my coworkers. I enjoy the work, actually. You know, I'm actually working in my field of study. So for me, I definitely was able to enjoy it again. Let's say that because my employer actually does give me the the option to work from home twice a week. And I rarely take it because I like going in. So that's a testament to my situation anyway. Another reason FIOR is great. You're able to scale back or completely eliminate or not even start a side hustle because side hustles are obviously on the side of another job. And that can be tough. And I am speaking from experience. I started my blog in 2015. I had no idea people made money from their blogs, by the way, back then. I didn't even know what an affiliate link was. I was like, oh, that's so nice. They put a link in there. That was so nice of them. Anyway, I've been doing it long enough to know that it is work. And there were some weeks where it's encroaching on another full-time job. And I just, that is not worth it for me. If I'm going to have that W-2 job and a side hustle and a family, it's almost impossible. It's almost impossible to do it all well. And obviously what's going to suffer? The family, right? You're, no, I can't watch, you know, television with you, or I can't read you a book because I'm working on the blog or I'm, you know, recording a podcast or, and those things are inevitable. So Just know that side hustles can be very time consuming and not always profitable at the start. So that's something scaling back on that or eliminating is is a good thing in my mind if you're on fire. (laughs) And then scaling back the savings rate obviously goes along with pivoting to optional retirement because, like I said, you don't have to reach it as quickly as you might have originally set out to do. So scaling that back gives you more breathing room. You can do the things you love. So yeah, options is the big key. Options. Yeah, maybe when you hit FI, you're going to say, you know what? I do want to give my notice and, and walk out the door in two weeks, but maybe not. You know, So that's the take on FIOR. So with FIOR, it seems a lot more flexible than FIOR, where a lot of people are trying to hit like, you know, five, seven, 10 years, and that's the end of it. That's the end of their work. They're retiring. Do you have any kind of goals, like an an age or maybe a milestone in a net worth that you're planning on working until and then maybe cutting everything off or? So originally my fire goal was 2021 to be able to walk away from my desk job and not work at all. I was not planning on picking up an entrepreneurial venture or blogging full time or I I seriously wanted to sit in front of the TV and not do anything. <laughs> that was I know that's not popular to say, but that sounds like a great retirement to me. So originally it was 2021, but then you know, life happens and and the more the more I thought about it, the more I thought, ah, I don't know if that's the right move for me or for us, for our family. You know, we want to be able to 
possibly pay for our daughter's college. Maybe if she gets married one day, pay for her wedding, go on lavish vacations when we're older. And I don't know if our original number, well, I know that our original number would have not have accommodated all of those things. So, and then there's the healthcare issue. And then also with my mom aging, you know, we're also helping her. We continue to help her. And those are unforeseen expenses that, that you can't really judge what's going to be. So for me, giving up my well-paying job is not the smartest thing in my mind and for the family. So we've pushed out that goal to probably within the next five to 10 years. We're not going to hit it in 2021 because we scaled back to give ourselves more options to make sure we go on vacation once a summer and we don't feel guilty about spending the money. And, you know, just to build those memories now, because I don't want everything to be later. So five to 10 years, we want to hit five. And then when that happens, we can make a decision at that point, you know, what, what we want to do. So when you do decide to pull that trigger, does that mean just the trigger from traditional employment or are you pulling the plug on the blog, the podcast? I know you mentioned earlier that you have like a rental property and stuff too. What are some of these other like side hustle income streams you have going on? So the other hustles we have going on, (laughs) we actually have two rental properties now and we have the blog and actually my husband also has a blog and all that. Yeah. So we have a lot of things going on, a lot of balls in the air. My husband will never retire traditionally unless he's forced to due to health reasons. Just he is a worker and he loves it. He loves it. He loves it. I quite honestly, you know, I say I want to sit around and watch TV, but I could never do that. I probably watch maybe 60 minutes worth of TV in a week right now. But it sounds good. <laughs> I don't think I could ever sit still. So I don't I don't foresee me not working after we would hit that number. So I would either take on a new career or do the blog full time or something like that. Okay. So you have to have something to occupy most of your time. You're not just gonna do like a ten hour a week gig and then just, you know, hang out, watch TV and movies all day. <laughs> I say I wanna do that, but in reality I would probably never do that. (laughs) I'm always (laughs) on the go and always moving. So yeah. So what's next for you? I know you mentioned just kind of sticking it out for five to 10 years. You do have all these side hustles. Do you have any plans, goals for maybe say it could be in your personal life? It could be with any of your entrepreneurial ventures. It could be in your career. Could you just talk about like where you see yourself in say five years? Oh, you know, our daughter's now 10 years old and she's all into soccer and she like this stuff eats up so much time. I seriously just want to keep my head above water for the next five (laughs) years. I'm going to continue to stay with my employer, stay at my W2 job. I foresee me continuing to build the blog and the podcast. And I'd like to get into more things with that and build that out different avenues with that and see where that goes. That's probably my biggest I guess, quote unquote, goal that I'd like to accomplish. But other than that, the time is so limited between the job, the podcast, the blog, the daughter, the soccer tournament. It's just, it's rough. (laughs) It's rough (laughs) in this household. And we only have one child. I don't know how people do it with multiple. So yes, keeping my head above water for the next five years and just continuing to fund those, those investment accounts and just having them grow, hopefully, with the market. (laughs) (laughs) Well, best of luck with that game plan, Lisa. It sounds like you kind of got your head on straight. You know where you're going, which is a lot better than 99.9% of people. So that's definitely a good thing. But if people want to follow along with your story, maybe they want to get in contact with you, where's the best place they can do that? 
So the blog is madmoneymonster.com. We have the podcast, which is the Mad Money Monster show. And then we are all over social media, just Mad Money Monster. And if you want to email, it's themadmoneymonster at gmail.com. And we always like to ask guests, what's your number one tip for those who are going towards their own path of financial independence? Oh, I love this question. <laughs> okay. Awesome. <laughs> My number one tip, especially if you're on the younger side of life or even any time, it, it's applicable at any point, but just do not underestimate the importance of choosing the right partner because it can really change the entire trajectory of your life. So that's my tip. Sweet. Well, sounds like your current husband. I know you've called him your current husband a few times. Sounds like a pretty awesome guy. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And now for the final question of the podcast, the most fun question of the podcast. This is the wild card question. You don't know what I'm going to ask. Justin has no idea what I'm about to ask. And I don't even know what I'm about to ask because we literally don't write it down beforehand. We just think of it off the cuff. I'm like sweating right now. (laughs) (laughs) You're sweating. All right. Sounds like you're ready. All right, Lisa, so you've been mentioning this awesome mystery man, your current husband, the entire podcast, but I want to hear like the most unique or cool thing you guys have ever done together. Oh, that's an easy one. (laughs) So uh, we were married in an underground cavern and it was amazing. So what does that mean? Like, was there a ceremony? Oh, yeah. And a reception. It was unbelievably beautiful. We we didn't have to do it was in October and we didn't pay for any um, really decorations other than pumpkins. We carved pumpkins and put them on the tables and the, the cavern provided the decoration. I mean, it was just gorgeous. So. That is awesome. I would not expect a cavern to be a romantic place, but it sounds like oh, it was a cool my venue. Gosh, it's, <laughs> it's amazing. I should send you the link. Yes, I, I wrote a few posts about it. <laughs> awesome. All right. Yeah, we'll definitely uh, look that up and include it in the show notes. Well, Lisa, thank you again for sharing your story. You came from growing up in a trailer park to now having pretty much everything. You know exactly where you're going. You have this game plan. You figured out FIRE with the RE was a little too extreme. Now you're doing the FIOR with the optional retirement. So just thank you again so much for spending the time with us today. Absolutely. I had a blast. Thanks for having me on. Love this episode, Justin. It just shows that no matter where you start, you can always end up in a solid spot. I mean, Lisa started in a trailer park, even though she did kind of claim that it wasn't as bad as we may have thought it could have been. But now she's on this path. She has this game plan moving forward, and she's going after this fire goal. Yeah, you know, Cody, that I always love these episodes. We're kind of profiling somebody who came up from a lower income background because I just resonate so much with it. And it's cool to see you know, how that mentality can be an enabler. It can, it can help. It's not necessarily like that growing up that way is a, is a detractor from you being able to reach these goals because it teaches you so much. And I also really love the part where, you know, we got to talking about like clothes and how that can, for a lot of people, will look at that and say, well, that's just a waste of money. Like we have these things in this space where we try to say, these are hard, fast rules. Like this is a rule that spending money on clothes is a bad thing. But, you know, we got to talking about how for the kid, that could be, the most cost-effective way for them to feel normal in their surroundings when they go to school, to make them feel like they're just on the same playing field as all the other kids. Because you know, you're not going to have the same cars, you're not going to have the same house, but if you have the same clothes, that's what, when you're in front of each other 99% of the time, that's what you see. And so it makes the kid feel normal. So it is worth it. And it kind of goes back into this fire or goal. Like a lot of people in the space think it's, you put your nose to the grindstone, you make as much money as you can, you do whatever you got to, and you hit five as fast as possible. And she's breaking that mold. And so I really enjoyed that. 
And it was really interesting to hear how, like what you're just mentioning now, Justin, when she was a kid, it was the clothes. Like she's not going to have the car. She's not going to have the house. But once she starts actually making that money, it might be the car. It might be the house. And she talks about with her ex-husband, how they're going out and looking for this like McMansion. She always wanted to have that McMansion that all of her friends had that she'd go visit. And so she could finally quote unquote afford it. Even though now looking back, she says the house they were looking at was so far out of their price range. If she looked back now in 2019 at that purchase back in 2015, I believe she would just be appalled at even thinking that she could possibly afford that house and that she would spend that much for paycheck toward that house. So fortunately, I don't know if it's fortunately or unfortunately, there was a ton of black mold in the attic, like she had mentioned, and she didn't go through with that purchase. And that purchase honestly might have swung the pendulum so far for her looking back now. I mean, I totally agree, Cody. What was that, Justin? It's that call to action. And this week's call to action is going to be something that some people in this space might cringe a little bit about. But what we're going to say is look at your financial plans and maybe pump the brakes a little bit. Like make sure that you are enjoying your journey. If it means adding on a few more months or maybe a year of working or whatever that means, keeping that mental health strong will make sure that you have a good journey and that when you get to the end of it, you've got people around you and a life around you that you actually want to retire to. Awesome call to action, Justin. And so if you want to get a closer look at anything we talked about in this episode, get a detailed episode summary, you can visit the show notes at thefiveshow.com slash Lisa. And as always, we love to see you guys participating in our Facebook group at thefiveshow.com slash community, where we talk about everything personal finance. It's an all-inclusive group. And those five-star reviews and ratings have really been helping us out. Every time Justin and I get a new one, we take a screenshot, send it to each other. We're pumped up. We're motivated about it. And it helps us get on great guests like Lisa. Thanks for listening. See you on next week's episode of The Fi Show.